Absolutely. I mean, I found it really fulfilling. I loved the creative energy. I loved the problem solving. Yeah. I loved the openness of the beginning of a job. And I loved the completion in terms of going from uh, concept to uh, creation. Sure. I really loved that um, process. This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. All right, welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. This week, we get the chance to sit down with Ben Ferrand. Ben is a super interesting guy, a great friend, um, graduate of the University of Montana's marketing program, a local entrepreneur. He is the co-owner, co-founder of Ferrand's. They make... Uh, kind of really beautiful accessories, including hats. You've probably seen them around town. Um, their hats have no branding on them, which is a really interesting part of the story that we get into with Ben today. Ben has taken kind of a crazy path to where he is today. Um, lives up in St. Ignatius with his kids on a farm that his wife operates and uh, runs his business with a partner from Montana. I'm sorry, with a partner from um, Manhattan here out of his studio in Missoula and the circuitous path he took to get to where he is and the laser focus he has had on um, what he wants as far as a life well lived is, is pretty inspiring. So listen for that in the conversation today and I'll turn it over to Ben Ferenc. Okay, so we're here today with Ben Ferenc. Ben, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It took me about, I don't know, seven or eight times of meeting you and getting to know your basically it took me a long time to figure out how to pronounce your last name so did i get it right yeah it's pronounced ferens and one of the uh the things that a lot of people don't know is ferens the brand is actually the phonetic pronunciation of my last name there we go so owner operator founder all those things the mm -hmm. man that makes uh ferens happen ferens the brand which we'll get into so anyway thanks for coming on the podcast yeah so you are, we'll get into bio a bit, but what year did you graduate from University of Montana? Okay, so 2000 graduate, um, and then done a lot of interesting things since then. But let's basically set it up with, why does a guy from New York State, kind of an East Coast uh, guy, decide to go to college in Missoula, Montana? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish that I had a more uh, romantic uh, and interesting story, um, but really what brought me to Montana was the mountains. Oh, there's there's probably nothing more romantic than that, in my view. Maybe so. Um, I was not, you know, interested in a specific uh, program. I wasn't interested in a specific area of study. Uh -huh. I really just knew that um, that I wanted to be in the mountains, and I, I desperately tried my first attempt uh, when given the uh, opportunity to leave the house uh, for college, but was not able to really. Um, persuade my parents to let me go uh, across the Mississippi. So I, I spent a year in upstate New York uh, at a terrible school. Um, that shall not be named. That shall not be okay. named. Out of respect. Uh, yes. Uh, and with the promise for my parents that if I hated it, I could transfer the following Seems year and fair. move west. And yeah. so the minute I had the opportunity, I did. Now, so had you you had been out here on some childhood ski trips or something, mm -hmm. like the seed had been planted for yes. the mountains. Yeah, yeah. So I did uh, one of those great uh, wilderness adventure programs when I was uh, 14. I did a six-week um, program that was based in the, in the Rocky Mountains, and it really— 
um, turned me on. Uh-huh. I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And uh, and then the following year, I did a summer program in Alaska in the mm-hmm. Talkeetnas with Knowles. Um, and then I knew right away that um, there was a there was more fun being had uh, on the, this side of the, the Mississippi. And so I made every effort to, to come. Sure. So you get here, you finish up, study marketing. Yep. Uh-huh. Study marketing, finish up, uh, and quickly realized that I was um, kind of interested in the creative, the creative side of marketing uh, and landed on design, graphic mm-hmm. design specifically, mm-hmm. and started working, started working as a designer, trying to get every opportunity that I could. Here in town at that point? Yep, yeah. here in town at that point. Um, I did some stuff for uh, a friend of mine who had a bike shop. Okay. Uh, he was dumb enough and nice enough to let me do uh, ads and uh, graphics for t-shirts and sort of, I guess, uh, cut my teeth with that basic application of graphic design. And then uh, from there went on to uh, um, an internship at Black Diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now you're out of Missoula. You're now I'm out of Missoula just for, the, yeah, just for the summer. And I was there. Uh, I did some internal design stuff, but then also uh, supported the pro-purchase department. Okay. Um, there was at the time just one person running it uh, who desperately needed help. So I guess I was the de facto assistant of pro-purchase. And that was my first real eye-opening experience into the outdoor industry as well. And I think that was kind of important for me because uh, I was um, lucky enough to surround myself with some really inspiring people in the industry, in sales and marketing um, and design at Black Diamond. Um, And they... uh, made it clear to me that, you know, you could do a couple of different things with your career. You could either do what you love for work um, or you can work so that you can do what you love. Sure. And I really, I never lost sight of that. Um, And so sometimes I I found myself kind of far away from what I loved and other times I found myself doing what I loved for work, but not necessarily um, finding the most fulfilling um, work with it. So, uh, anyway, out of Black Diamond, I then came back to Missoula and I worked at an agency here in Missoula mm-hmm. as a uh, as a production artist, which is kind of the, the lowest level of ranking, I would say, on the creative side. In, but but you're in the game. But I mean, I'm in you're the game. With an agency, yeah. You're building a resume, building yeah, experience. Totally. So I had all of my little you know um, design gigs that I had done prior. Nothing sure. professional per se, but. Um, you know, documented and published, and I think I was able to show some competency. Yep. Um, and then quickly uh, moved up from uh, production into design as a junior designer. Um, worked at a couple agencies here in Missoula, and then realized that I needed to get more experience. Uh, I needed to be faster. I needed to be more aware of design as an industry. Um, and even though I had sort of uh, started, I really didn't have the, the formal training sure. either from a, an institution or even years of uh, agency experience. And so uh, I left Missoula. Actually, before yeah. before we get to the leave Missoula part, I just want to drill into, you know, for the listener that doesn't know, and maybe for me, I might not even know enough, like, what actually is design? When you say I want to be a designer, like what is the job of a designer? Yeah, so the job of a designer is to help communicate a message through graphic art. Okay. Yeah, okay. that can entail imagery, that can entail typography, mm-hmm. it can entail color, uh, and it can entail all of those. But really, it's a form of communication. Sure, all the variables that go into bringing that communication to life. Exactly. 
Um, so you're not necessarily controlling the photography per se in terms of subject matter, um, but you are controlling the outcome once you have the assets. Okay. Yeah. So, um, all right. So I uh, I thought about going back to school for graphic design. Yeah, you're sort of, it seems like you're feeling like you're, okay, this design itch is something I want to scratch, but I, I need more to kind of get to where I want to go. Absolutely. I mean, I found it really fulfilling. I loved the creative energy. I loved the problem solving. Yeah. I loved the openness of the beginning of a job. And I loved the completion in terms of going from uh, concept to uh, creation. Sure. I really love that um, process. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I didn't go to school. Mm-hmm. I just didn't do it. Um, I don't know why necessarily. I think I was a little intimidated by uh, the term artist that is associated with applying to art school. Okay. I didn't okay. feel like I really had the chops as a, um, as a, a fine artist sure. in terms of illustration uh, and I was really intimidated. Uh-huh. And I got, I think I was a little scared. Yeah. So I did what I uh, knew best, which was just work. And so rather than going back to school, I got an internship in New York City as um, as a graphic designer. Sure. School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. And so I was thrown into it um, working on the Tommy Hilfiger account mm-hmm. um, exclusively, supporting the team in doing anything they asked me to do, from getting coffee to sourcing obscure reference material to um, buying random ephemera to support uh, the team. Really, I was all over the place. But you're learning how the craft is executed, right? Yeah, I'm learning how the craft is executed. I'm also learning a lot about presentation of concept, which has proved to be incredibly valuable. It's one thing to have a great idea. It's another thing to be able to communicate that idea before it's executed. Yeah, so talk a little bit more about that. So what are those lessons? What's that process? That process has a lot to do with research, which I love. Um, and then it has a lot to do with understanding the landscape of who's doing what, who has done what. And then are there any images or any existing pieces that you can reference when showing this concept? Okay. For the term proof of concept, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the initial phase of presenting a concept with the goal of getting it uh, signed off on mm-hmm. so that you can actually engage and you can begin to work on it. Then you can start to hire uh, and build the team to execute. And so what are your, I mean, we could we yeah. could do a whole podcast about this topic, probably a whole series of podcasts about this topic, but, you know, what are your kind of tenets that you took away in terms of, you know, concept presentation at this point? Gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I think what um, what makes a good presentation is, is potentially the thing that uh, is not unique to design or creativity per se. It's a human aspect. It's mm-hmm. a human element. Um, and it's the ability to engage. It's the ability to inspire. And it's the ability to gain trust. All things that are important for people in relationships outside of business sure. as well as within business. I know you and I have talked a lot about that um, in the class that you had mm-hmm. me uh, lecturing about being persuasive in giving a presentation. Um, and I think those are the tenets, the things that we discussed in your class um, that are very human, that are not about creativity per se. Right. I think when you couple that with creative, when you couple that with um, 
an example of a concept, that's when you really start to um, persuade people in terms of advertising, which is where I was. Yeah. So you're developing a notion of how the product gets made. You're noticing, you're, you're starting to understand how sort of the product is sold in a way, um, or the relationships are built is maybe the better term. Yeah. And so then you, know, you you wrap that experience and bring that back to Missoula. Is that the next step? Yeah. You decided and then, you wanted to be back here? Yep. So then I, I came back here for a little bit and then ultimately left again Yeah. Uh, in this sort of ongoing uh, struggle uh, that I have um, with Missoula and with my career and with my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, wanting um, to have a fulfilling career, wanting to be inspired by creative people and wanting to live um, a mountain lifestyle. Yeah. And yeah. they don't always mesh. No, it's that's a not, lot of pieces to put together there. Yeah, I feel like uh, something that you and I have talked about um, potentially at nauseum on early um, ski adventures or uh, runs or biking, um, it's easier to make money in the city. There are more opportunities, yeah. and that's the reality of it. And so if you want to be here, you want to be in Missoula, you really need to have the grit. You really need to be able to... Um, see it through. And yeah. it's hard sometimes. And sometimes the ceiling's a little low for creatives here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have a choice. You can either leave or you can make it the place that you want it to be. And I've done both. So yeah, you've come and gone. You've had your sort of, you know, a variety of experiences that taught you what you want out of a, uh, out of a professional existence, but yeah. also what you want out of a balanced lifestyle in Missoula scene or, you know, Western Montana seems to be uh, a place that uh, just can't get out of your system. Yeah, yeah, it's just like little gnat yeah. that just keeps sort of um, so let's, let's, nibbling. Yeah, so let's fast forward on the bio a little cool. bit and let's talk about um, we'll talk about Freeman Transport a little okay. bit. So Ben, you and a partner uh, for a, a bit of time had a custom bike business. Yeah, for about five years, and I will yeah. say too, just before that started, so I did wind up spending three years. Uh, in New York, working at agencies, doing you know small boutiquey stuff, yep. um, like art books and installations, um, museum work, to uh, a very large um, kind of corporate, publicly held agency, and then something in the middle, um, and quickly burned out. I yeah, don't know yeah. how quick three years is, but I was sort of done with giving up the sacrifices um, and missing Missoula immensely. Yeah, it's so, funny, like you didn't. You went from one extreme to the other. Right? To yeah. go from Missoula to, you know, Madison Avenue is quite a transition. Yeah, and I think that that's probably indicative of my character. Yeah, I really only sure. like it at 100. I either like, you know, the country and the mountains 100% or I like the city at 100%. And I don't really love the middle, um, which probably explains why I'm in a town of 700 people right now in St. <laughs> Ignatius. Anyway, so, yeah, we started Freeman Transport uh, really because um, I was looking to build something. I was yeah. looking to make something. I wanted something tangible. Um, and I was less interested in graphic design, per se, and more interested in brand building um, and uh, an object building, if you will, industrial okay. design. Building an actual product. Yeah, an actual product and a brand. And at that time, you know, uh, the Internet was really just starting to um, hit its stride. Mm -hmm. Communication became this amazing uh, tool for brands and marketers that was now free. And if you could build an audience, you could speak to, you know, millions of people for very little money. Very quickly, yeah. Yeah, and so this was now um, around 2008, 2009, uh -huh. Blogger, MySpace. Yep, all these um, platforms. Uh-huh. They're all just kind of popping WordPress. 
Um, and so I was really fascinated with this idea of starting something from the middle of nowhere and having a conversation on a global level. Yeah. And I don't think I really knew what I was doing, and I don't really think I knew why I was doing it other than I was feeling like I was living in the middle of nowhere sure. and wanting to be a part of a larger conversation. And that was the time when it could be done without yeah. any – experience or skill there were just microphones like floating around you could just grab one and do your thing so so the ability to talk to consumers directly or whatever kind of audience you're trying to create but also layer upon that the ability to do commerce from any place to anyone right Mm -hmm. you can sell directly over this new relatively new platform yeah so the ability to not only communicate but also execute a sales strategy is there absolutely as well. yeah and uh and it you know the um the effort was was um steeped in storytelling yeah in creativity because that was really the only way to be compelling was to have beautiful visuals you know in a world that was so text-based all of a sudden you know you've got images just floating everywhere right. and um, storytelling was just becoming richer and richer in terms of technology yeah so, so this you know so Freeman transport so Freeman transport so custom bicycle custom company. bicycles yep it was right around the time when track bikes were just exploding yeah yeah track and bikes or you know the like the hipster fixed fixie, gears, yep. fixed gear deal you see a lot in a lot of towns yeah so people are sort of seeing it um, as the next skateboarding as this kind of underground uh, subculture that was ripe for uh, mass marketing, mm-hmm. unfortunately. We capitalized on it, not because we're jerks, but because we saw an opportunity and we tried to use the track bike as the gateway drug into cycling. <laughs> and so um, we took it upon yeah. ourselves to educate new cyclists who were coming into cycling through uh, track bikes and fixed gears and then show them the fun that can be had with the bicycle, whether you ride a BMX bike or a cross bike or a mountain bike or a dirt bike, BMX, whatever, we're all cyclists. And that was really what we were trying to do was build this community through a bicycle. Something inclusive. Something inclusive. Which is, you know, we don't need to geek out too much on cycling, but cycling is not known for its inclusivity. Let's just leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So yeah. trying to build community. Yeah. Share your joy for this sport, this activity. Yeah. And, and we also found that uh, there was an opportunity within cycling because the way we were interpreting a bicycle at the time was not about fluorescent colors and it wasn't about logos everywhere. It was much more uh, specific for us. You know, fewer colors, darker colors, more of a muted thing that was um, much more appealing to us at the time. From a design standpoint. From a design standpoint, yeah, yeah. you know, the the painting of a bike, the decal kit became one of the most enjoyable things that sure. I've done in a, in a while. Um, there's so many variables. There's so many different ways to paint a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an awesome project, and I learned a ton, uh, built a business, met a lot of people that I still consider dear friends through it, um, and, in fact, was able to make friends all over the world through yeah. the bicycle and through Freeman Transport. Um, I did that with my partner, Nathaniel Freeman, as well. It uh-huh. was not just me, um, and I couldn't have done it without him. Yeah. Um, but I learned a ton about communication um, in today's uh, society with technology as a tool. Um, so that was great. Uh, we ended Freeman Transport realizing that we were caught between a project that was too big and a business that was too small. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't have an exit strategy per se. We didn't have... Um, an end goal. We just really wanted to make beautiful bikes and things. And I think we did. All right. Special announcement for all of you today. 
You probably know that this podcast is produced out of the College of Business at the University of Montana. But what you might not know is that the college will celebrate its 100th anniversary this year. And we have a big celebration planned. On September 21st and 22nd, we'll be celebrating our centennial with a full schedule of events. And we'd love for you to get involved. It's going to be an awesome couple of days. So please check out our website, www.business.umt.edu slash centennial for all the information. Hope to see you out there. It's going to be fun. That Um, seems to be a a position that a lot of entrepreneurs find themselves in, like, you know, just to kind of focus on bicycles. Like you could, you could make a fine living building a handful of frames by yourself, selling them directly to customers on a one-off basis. Um, Or you could make, you know, 10,000, 100,000 bikes a year, but the space in between is probably pretty difficult to, to pull off. I think so. It's like once you get into that growth model, it's hard to to get off of it until you're sort of attractive to some big corporate buyer or you've got the scale enough to, to, to do some things that would probably force you to make compromises on the, you know, your design attention to detail and all those other characteristics that you mentioned. For sure. And one thing that just occurred to me as you were talking is that it was a very similar process to Fair Ends because mm. we had a fixed widget and then we were just constantly redesigning it in terms of aesthetics once we had the widget fixed. So we had a cross bike, but we could paint it a thousand different ways. Sure. We could put different components on it. We had a road bike, same. But we were also making travel bags and we were you know, working – uh, collaboratively with leather makers to do a wallet and a passport case. And, you know, I, we couldn't find merchandise that we were satisfied with. So we found a factory instead and started making ball caps. And then really quickly, we understood that, yeah, there are a lot of people who can afford a $5,000 bike. We even learned that there were people who could afford a $20,000 bike. Uh-huh. But there were some people who really just wanted to be a part of the conversation and a part of the community, and yeah. they just wanted a ball cap. And then... Oddly enough, we found stores who um, were not selling bikes, but they really wanted to sell our ball caps. Mm. And all of a sudden, things were just kind of getting uh, merged into one, you know, where cycling was now a lifestyle and something that could go into a men's clothing store. And, you know, uh, people were riding for all sorts of different reasons. And, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, we sold a lot of ball caps as a bike company. And you're starting to see uh, through your own bottom line, your own community building, this power of brand, which you had sort of developed an understanding of building a brand through your agency experience, I'm assuming. But now you're seeing it sort of come to fruition with the own sort of brand that you're creating. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it was kind of the first opportunity to take a director's role in terms of creative and not feel like I needed to do everything myself and hire and build team um, and delegate. uh, And that was really interesting for me as well. Sure. So like, for instance, for the identity for uh, Freeman Transport, I knew I wanted it to be script. Uh, Script logos have this feeling of the hand. They have this great representation of things that are handmade. Uh Um, And I knew I wanted a script for the uh, for the logo for the um, for the down tube. Sure. And recognized that I needed someone who specialized in hand lettering Mm -hmm. Uh, and stumbled upon Benny Gold in San Francisco, who was doing some amazing things in the skate community. Um, and yeah, so hired him, 
commissioned him, was able to work with him, direct him to a place where we had a really unique and really beautiful logo. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um, yeah, so out of Freeman Transport, it was kind of like my my MBA. Yeah. Uh, I was able to learn so much about business, so much about running a business, um, so much about marketing, you know, in today's world. Um, and met a ton of people. And I guess, you know, one of the great things about business is if you've got something that you're proud of and you think that it um, is noteworthy, it's a great way to meet people because all of a sudden they might know your brand before they know you as a person. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that when that happens, it's really kind of amazing. It feels really flattering. It really kind of warms the ego um, and all of a sudden validates who you are as a person. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because I feel like in many ways, as you know, we'll, we'll shift the conversation a little bit here to fair ends, but that might be what's occurring here with this podcast. Many people in Western Montana, even broader audience, probably know your product, whether or not they know it by name and whether or not they know it through you is, is a different story. But yeah, so let's transition to that. You're, you're, you're kind of winding down Freeman Transport, realizing that, whoa, there's something going on here with these accessories yeah. And the community associated with them, and you move into this to fair ends, which is I don't think calling it a cap company is the right definition. But Maybe that's you, what everyone does. Yeah, but let's let's speak about that a little sure. bit. Sure. So, um, uh, so through Freeman Transport, I met a really close uh, friend, or I should say, I met a friend who was um, I met a friend who was cl- who I became really close with, and we were looking to collaborate. We were looking to do uh, something together. And when Freeman Transport closed and Ferens uh, began, we saw that as the opportunity to do a project together. Okay. And so we started Freeman Transport with an opportunity to do hats for uh, Jack Spade and uh, celebrate Coca-Cola's 125th anniversary. Oh, wait, so, sorry, just, you said yeah. started Freeman. I think you misspoke there. So sorry, right. Started Fair Ends with yes. the, the so, chance to do this Jack Spade collaboration. Exactly. So we started Fair Ends with the opportunity to do hats for Jack Spade yeah. celebrating Coca-Cola's 125th anniversary. That's they a wanted, pretty big uh, first opportunity. It was a big one. Had they seen the caps you were doing Yeah, with so we had sold Freeman Transport hats to Jack Spade. Got it, okay. Yeah, that was one of the uh, clothing stores that was not a bicycle store uh-huh. that was selling men's clothing and accessories. Uh, and quickly they were uh, using bikes. I, You know, you could buy them from Jack Spade, but I think it was more of a merchandising move yeah, yeah, and totally. more storytelling. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was a great opportunity. And I think it really quickly sort of validated us as a brand because um, we were able to launch and get in front of a lot of people. And so these are Jack Spade hats. Like These are private label. Yeah. You're manufacturing them. But at this point, is Fair Ends a thing? Like, if you guys it, just have... began, it just became a thing. Okay, but nobody really knows what a, a Fair Ends cap is. Right? No. Okay. No, the, really, the... The release of the hats, the launch of the website, the printing of business cards all happened at the same time. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think the conversation went something like, um, hi, Ben, um, it's Chad. We need some hats. Can you make them for us? Sure, but it'll be under another brand. Is that okay? No problem. Okay, great. And so I guess what I'm getting at is so you're thinking – Okay, this is great to, with your partner to do this this collaboration, this project. It's kind of looking like a wholesale game 
at this point, but now you're direct. I mean, you've got you know, your hats are with your own label, and you have a deep relationship with your own customers. Like, what's going on at that moment in terms of you're thinking about this business opportunity? Sure. Are you going to be a wholesale player, or are you going to be a direct-to-consumer brand builder? Yeah, I think what we understood and what we identified was that there was an opportunity within the menswear market um, to position a a hat yep. that was not about branding and logos and sports and merchandising per se. It was more about an object, very much like a shirt, where every season the hat would be released in 15 different fabrics. Okay. In the winter, it would be heavier fabrics, and in the summer, it would be lighter fabrics. Uh-huh. Shape would be the same. And people could rely on the release of those hats every single season, so every single year. This might not be the appropriate term, but like a piece of fashion rather than a delivery device for a logo. Yeah, and I would I really dislike fashion as an industry, okay. so I would I would say it was an opportunity for an accessory that was more elevated mm. than kind of this disposable, you know, foam trucker. Yeah, yeah, that, totally. you know, is made in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever seen one of the the Ferrans caps, it's sort of the opposite of a foam trucker. Yeah, yeah. in many ways. Okay. No, no, okay, so um yeah, so we saw the opportunity. We didn't know about direct-to-consumer necessarily at that point. I mean, that was very much a new model. Uh-huh. Yes, there are some very old luxury houses that don't sell wholesale, that have their own brick-and-mortar um, and only sell direct. For us, what we wanted to do was launch, get it in the nicest stores we could find, and then build community and build direct sales around that. So we used wholesale as a marketing tool. Okay. Uh, with uh, limited resources in retail, it's a great way. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we just plugged along. And, uh, yeah, we were, I suppose, successful in getting into the top shops all over the country, um, if not maybe the world. But I'm not – that I don't say that um, to brag. I say it in terms of what was done. So we were able to get it into the shops that we wanted um, to uh, be in. Positioned as a high-end accessory. Yeah. I mean, it's an expensive hat. You yeah. know, it's it's made in America. We use fabric from Japan, from America, from India, Asia. We're sourcing a, you know, um, a beautiful fabric that you want close to your skin. Right. Uh, and we're making it in a factory that, you know, is paying minimum wage and that is um, – creating uh, an atmosphere for their employees that are um, as nice as any other, you know, job you could find Mm -hmm. uh, in the industry. So, uh, yep, they're expensive and they are positioned in a more upscale way than, you know, the disposable hat. Sure. Yeah. And so, you know, along with that, you're able to kind of, it's it's expensive, but it's still at a price where people can buy into this community without, you know, have to go into debt to do so or, or you know, make Absolutely. bad financial choices. For sure. So the hats are $48. Yeah. So just to be clear, um, but we're not the only ones at that price point. Sure. We were not the only ones at that price point when we entered. And we still are not the only ones at that price yeah. point. And there are plenty of options uh, north of that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a real price. Um, and it's not one that we've plucked out of thin air. We took basic business strategies and structure and and went from there. We do have enough margin to sell at wholesale, and we do have enough margin 
to do custom private label stuff. And that was one of the things actually that I learned at Freeman Transport. We built this business. It was so expensive. We were only able to go direct to consumer. Yeah, yeah. And we were not able to scale it because of that. Mm-hmm. And now you've got a product that can scale. Now we have a product that uh, can scale, and we have the widget that I was kind of looking for, something that we could create many, many, many times over without having to reinvent the wheel every single time. And I know I said that the bicycle was a similar product to that, but um, at the same time, it was very different because we're picking handlebar tape and you want pedals and you want a power tap. Yeah, it's far more complicated. It was a hard sell. It's a hard sale, you know, to make someone happy at that level. So anyway, yes, now um, the hat is the widget, and it becomes very much of a design conversation between me and my partner, Martine. Uh Um, And uh, and then very much um, a a product of storytelling and branding where we are selling a hat, but it's really not about the hat per se. Right, right. I mean, the hat's the touch point. But it's also just about two friends who wanted to work together and stay in touch constantly, living in two different places. Uh-huh. Your um, partner's located in New York, right? Yep, he's in New York. Um, and I think remoteness in terms of work has always been something that's intrigued me. Uh-huh. The idea that you could live anywhere and work from anywhere, uh, I think, is what really— um, excited me about the internet in terms of communication and a marketing tool back in the days of Freeman Transport. So I still am really fascinated by um, storytelling combined with today's technology. Mm -hmm. Um, And I continue to utilize it. Yeah. So we'll get into the the storytelling piece. But before we do, I wanted to kind of drill in on a comment you just made about it sort of not being about the hat. Your, your your caps are interesting in the sense that they have a distinct style and, and kind of a user experience. I mean, you don't, at least in my experience, the hats are, you can, you put them on without an explicit expectation of it being different, but the actual phys- physical experience of the hat is different, um, which is just kind of remarkable because the hat itself There's no branding. There's no logos other than the one that's inside the hat. And so these appear to me to be very kind of conscious choices. Can you speak a little bit about, you know, how how your design ethic as uh, manifest in these caps comes about? Yeah, I think um, being aware of fashion and luxury, one of the things that I noticed is that really high-end fashion brands and very luxurious products typically have very little branding. Right, right. And you pay for that. Yeah. And cheaper products seem to have the most branding and the most graphics and the loudest um, advertising that can possibly be associated with wearing someone else's mm-hmm. product. I, n- I didn't want to be a part of that at all. I didn't want people to feel like they were doing me a favor by wearing my hat and advertising for my brand. Sure. And I also wanted people to feel like they could have a luxurious experience that was not about advertising, that was not about branding, but was, well, I guess I'm going to scratch branding because maybe it is about that. But I just didn't want people to feel like they were doing me a favor by wearing my hat. And I didn't want people to feel like they had to spend an exorbitant amount of money to have a logo-less product. So that really was the thought process behind having an unbranded um, 
hat. And, and I wanted people to feel very easy about wearing it. You know, it's black, it's navy, it's corduroy, it's cotton, whatever. It's easy, you know, and the hats are supposed to be easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now what we've seen is that they're so easy that children wear them and older men wear them and mothers wear them and sisters wear them and cousins wear them. Sure. And uh, we've achieved a, we've achieved, I think, our goal of making something for everyone uh-huh. because – I think the lack of logo and lack of graphics. And so layer that onto, you know, you've got this sort of building community, which you have, you're telling stories visually, you're telling stories, you know, through written words, through blogging, through great uh, different media types of types of collaborations. But you're also, you got this strong wholesale game going as well. You've done some pretty, impressive partnerships, you know, the, the, the project Thanks. with Oakley and many others. Can you speak a little bit about that balance of the kind of business portfolio between sure. the building of your own brand, but also jumping on these other collaborations? Yeah, I mean, we are really fortunate because our marketing efforts are done through collaborations with other brands. Sure. Sometimes they come to us. Other times we go to them. Uh, so in the in the the best situation, there will be a brand that we love, that we want to work with, that makes a product that we don't make, yep. that we can contribute in terms of the production of that product, and in turn, create a hat that also um, represents the collaboration. Yeah. So sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. But what we decided is that we really want to celebrate the lifestyle that we live here in Missoula as well as the lifestyle that my partner Martine lives. And for whatever reason, it happens to be around sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we ski, we bike, we run, we fish, uh, we play soccer, we play squash. We do all sorts of random sports, and those are all fair game in terms of collaboration or entrance into those markets if we wanted to. Um, and so through uh, through the brand we have been able to be the recipients of a lot of great projects where people come to us. Yeah. Um, and so we feel really fortunate about that. We um, do a lot of private label stuff, uh-huh. just straight production for other companies where you have no idea we're involved. Company comes to you, says, we like your caps. Can you make us 10000 Yep. to sell in our stores yep. across the East Coast or whatever it is? Yes. So that happens. Then we also have companies come to us because they want to make a hat with us. Mm. They want our hat for them. Uh, sometimes they have logos. Sometimes they have embellishments. That's fine. It doesn't yeah. matter to us. Sometimes our label is in it. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we do a double label. Yep. Um, so that happens. So that- but these are all great marketing efforts because every single time we do this, we're gaining um, traction in new markets. We're meeting new people. We're generating new audiences. Although when you're talking about one of these companies approaching you that, that wants to do sort of a, a blended brand, so give Fair End some presence in the collaboration, sure. what are your kind of guiding principles for you know, saying yes or no to an opportunity like that? Um, I guess we have to, you know, the number one thing is we have to, we have to like the brand. Yeah. <laughs> we have to like the product, you know, and we have to like the people. Uh, we don't work with everyone. Yeah. We say no. A lot. That's kind of what I'm getting at is like what makes for a good fit. Good people. Good people. Yeah. Period. 
Okay. Nice people. Yeah. If you're nice, it works. If you're not nice, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and we've been really lucky enough that we said this in the beginning. Like, we're going to do this thing. We're going to start this company, and we're only going to work with nice people. No mm-hmm. jerks. Mm-hmm. And we've stuck to it. We don't have any mean people that we work with. You know, that flows through in so much of your storytelling and branding. I mean, your your website and your social feeds, they're, they're just fun. Thanks. I mean, that's the idea. Like, that's what we love. Happy. Yeah. That's what we strive for in life is to be happy and have fun. Yeah. As people, as a brand, uh, what's better than laughing? Not much. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and I so through that, like, that's why there's so much humor and that's why there is so much fun. Because that's all I want to do. Yeah. I know that's kind of the wrong thing to say in terms of business, but really that's it. And you know me on a personal level, and I don't think that's so far off. Like if it's fun, I'm down. Yeah, I'm I don't know open. if it's necessarily the wrong thing to say. I mean it depends on your objectives. You're not a publicly traded company. You right. don't have uh, you know, fiduciary responsibility to shareholders necessarily. I mean you've got other responsibilities that Absolutely. need to be taken seriously. Not every day is all fun. Uh, right. No but, question. Um, but yeah, kind of as we as we contemplate that notion, you know, kind of what's next for Fair Ends? What's next for the, the, the brand? Yeah. The product? Yeah. I mean, I think we, uh, because the brand is rooted in creation, yeah. it's, it was started by two creatives. We will continue to make stuff. Yeah. As much stuff as we can. Um, for better or for worse, what we make really well are hats. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like, I don't care about hats. I mean, sometimes I wear them, sometimes I don't. But I'm not this, like, closet collector. Sure. I didn't, like, go to hat shows. I didn't – it's nothing. It's just this very strange thing that um, has now become associated with me. People are like, oh, you're Ben. You're the hat guy. guy. It's like, I guess. (laughs) Ben's kind of rolling his eyes here. Um, But, uh, yeah, so what's next, I think, is continuing to work with great people to make great stuff. Yeah. Um, to make people happy. Um, you know, I always say to people, there's always room for the next best thing. Um, mm-hmm. There are tons of opportunities out there um, for brands, for product, for people. Um, so, yeah, more collaborations, um, more storytelling, more trips. Yeah. Um, that's what the future holds. And uh, and I think probably a deeper connection to our customers. Mm-hmm. The... Um, the times are changing a little bit with wholesale. It's a tricky market right now with wholesale. Um, and it's, you know, in some industries, it's, it really feels like it's a race to the bottom. Interesting. What um, do you mean by that? Uh, everyone is trying to sell products for the least amount of money. Mm. And I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that um, people should spend a lot of money on their products. What I'm saying is that probably people should buy less. Fewer things of higher quality. Yeah. Not more cheap stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm doing everything I can to not be a part of that. Um, so that means the growth is potentially a little slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm okay with that. Uh, and I'm okay with letting um, letting our customers kind of let us know what they're wanting to sure. figure out what's next for us. Right now, they're really happy with our hats. We can't seem to make enough. Um, so we're trying to keep, uh, keep our inventory high, um, so that people can buy hats. And at the end of the day, um, it's a practical product, you know, it keeps sun off of your face. 
Um, and uh, yeah, we just want to um, make sure that our customers are happy. Nice. Yeah. So along the lines of keeping customers happy, you know, for those of our listeners who maybe are or are not familiar with Ferens, how do, how do, how would one learn more about you know, your product and your sure. brand and, and all that? How yeah. can they find you? Yeah. So the easiest way is uh, to go to our website. Ferens, F-A-I-R-E-N-D-S dot com. Um, same is our uh, handle on Instagram as well as Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then we there's a lot of press out there, too, that's done some great uh, storytelling on who we are as people and who we are as a brand. And those articles are floating around, whether it's in you know GQ or the Wall Street Journal or the Collective Quarterly. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, Ben, good luck. Thanks, thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, super fun conversation with Ben. Love what those guys are doing over at Fair Ends. Beautiful product, beautiful brand. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. All right, next week is one I am particularly excited about. We got the chance to catch up with Kathy Cole. Kathy Cole is the new Vice President of Enrollment and Strategic Communications here at the University of Montana. And she's coming in to... Uh, it's a big job, right? Seth Bodnar, our new university president, recently restructured that department, putting enrollment and marketing communications all under the same house. And Kathy uh, emerged as the candidate uh, with the most direct experience in both of those areas. And she comes to campus with uh, some really fresh ideas and a particularly interesting background and set of experiences that have prepared her for success here. So I super enjoyed my conversation with Kathy, and I look forward to sharing it with you next week. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. Remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're one of the largest electrical wholesale suppliers in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately held business-to-business company that distributes just about every piece of equipment you need to keep your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community, and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, please rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the podcast. Second, write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow. And third, just tell your friends about it. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this podcast happen. First off, thanks to Elizabeth Willie, Communications Director here at the College of Business. And thanks to our fabulous interns, Savannah Sletton and Max Gibson. I'd also like to give a special shout out to VTO for providing us with music. And finally, thanks to our producer, Jeff Meese. As we go, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks a lot and see you next time.